this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. This is episode 12. This is the first of a two-part episode that tells the early history of the sport of endurance riding and how that sport influenced trail ultra running, including the founding of Western States Trail Ride and also the famous run. Now for the story of the early history of endurance riding. Endurance riding is the equestrian sport that includes controlled long-distance riding or racing. The sport has existed for more than a century in various forms. 100-mile trail ultramarathons, especially the Western States Endurance Run, Old Dominion 100, and Vermont 100 can trace their roots to endurance riding. Other trail 100s that emerged in the 1980s were also influenced by endurance riding practices. Ultra runners should feel indebted to those of the endurance riding sport who had the vision to establish some early 100-mile trail races for runners. The trail 100-miler inherited many of the same procedures of aid stations, course markings, trail work, crews, medical checks, and of course the belt buckle award. Once ultra runners understand their history, a common kinship is felt between the two sister endurance sports. So trade in your running shoes for horseshoes for a few minutes and learn about an inspiring and adventuresome endurance riding history that impacted the sport of ultra running. Usually the credit for establishing the endurance riding sport is given to Wendell Roby of Auburn, California when he initiated the Western States Trail Ride in 1955. But endurance riding competitions existed long before 1955. Vermont must be recognized as the birthplace for the endurance riding sport in America. Just as ultramarathons did not originate with the 1977 Western States Endurance Run, organized endurance riding did not originate with the 1955 Western States Trail Ride as Wikipedia erroneously states. Some of the endurance ride pioneers and events seem to have been forgotten or pushed aside. Let's take a look at some very early rides that inspired endurance riding through the ages and are also fascinating to ultra runners. Long before there was organized mail delivery, a French-Canadian, Francis Aubrey, was an American frontier legend who delivered mail from Santa Fe, New Mexico to Independence, Missouri during the war with Mexico during the 1840s. He purposely sought to break speed records and would on occasion ride his horses or mules to death. In 1840, Aubrey accepted a bet of $1,000 that he could make the 800-mile ride from Santa Fe and Independence in six days. He made arrangements to switch horses at various locations along the route about 100 miles apart. He ate as he rode, tied himself to the saddle, and took brief naps. An army major stated, He passed my train at a full gallop without asking a single question as to the danger of Indians ahead of him. After a hundred miles, he was going to switch out his yellow mare, Dolly, but the relay station man had been killed and scalped, and the horse was gone. So Dolly covered another 100 miles for a total of 200 miles in 26 hours. On September 17, 1848, 
Aubrey arrived at Independence and men helped him out of the saddle and cut the ropes holding him up. The saddle was covered in blood. Aubrey won the bet, arriving in five days, 15 hours, but he ruined six horses along the way and several died. Accomplishments like this would inspire horse riders for generations who wanted to prove that their horse breed was superior for endurance rides. Before endurance ride competitions emerged, endurance ride stunts were performed to demonstrate what was possible riding horses for long distances. Such exhibitions have existed in both ultra running and endurance riding for more than a century. Here are a few examples of very early endurance riding stunts. In 1923, a reenactment of the Pony Express ride was conducted as part of the 75th anniversary of discovering gold in California. Through the rain and the sleet and the snow and the hail, they never did stop and they never did fail. The Pony Express, they carried the mail. On August 31st, 1923, one lone rider started that morning when President Calvin Coolidge pressed a button from the White House. It was estimated that 243 horses were used for this relay. As the relay went through Utah, a 17-year-old cowgirl, Myrtle Gardner, rode a 10-mile leg that brought the mail pouch into Salt Lake City. The governor and mayor were there to greet her at the post office. Thousands of others witnessed the arrival. A brief ceremony was held, and a letter from the governor of Utah to the governor of California was inserted into the mail pouch. Then a new rider mounted a fresh horse and took off toward the West Desert. Will Tevis, an accomplished polo player and famed California horseman, rode the last leg of the journey, 278 miles from the California border at Lake Tahoe to San Francisco via Sacramento. With the aid of two relief riders, the leg took an amazing 13 hours, 58 minutes riding time. He was greeted by huge crowds. The total journey took about nine days from Missouri. Tevis and his rides would later inspire Wendell Roby's 1955 ride on the Western States Trail, and Roby's endurance ride would eventually be named the Tevis Cup in honor of Will Tevis. Both ultra runners and endurance riders have had interests in crossing the continent on foot or on horse. In 1911, a woman, Nan Aspinwall, accomplished a ride from San Francisco to New York. She was known as the Montana Girl and rode 3,200 miles across the country in 178 days. Aspinwall said, quote, I'll never do it again, and I advise no man or woman to undertake the trip. I've had enough of horseback riding to last me the rest of my days. I didn't receive the best receptions along the route, and some of the days and nights I spent through parts of the country which I guess the Lord forgot. The journey took a toll on her. She greatly suffered through mosquitoes in New Jersey and toward the end was stricken by poison ivy that later developed into blood poisoning that put her down for three weeks. In 1912, another woman, Alberta Clare, the girl from Wyoming, went on a very long tour of the country on horseback. She started from her home in Sheridan, Wyoming, went to the Pacific coast, and rode all the way down to the Mexican border. She then continued to Phoenix, Dallas, St. Louis, Cleveland, and ended at Atlantic City, New Jersey. 
for much of the way her 100-pound part wolf dog accompanied her. She was received at many receptions along the way where she promoted women's suffrage. When Claire arrived at New York, she commented that the New Yorkers were skeptics. No one will believe me that a rattlesnake will not crawl over a hair lariat, and that when I am sleeping out in the hills on the desert, I coil the lasso about me to keep them away. They ask me why a snake wouldn't cross a horse lariat. The answer I know is, because it won't, and then the people laugh. On December 13, 1927, Lieutenant Paul C. Leinhard of the U.S. Cavalry Reserve set out from Hempstead, Long Island with his famous horse, Black Bess, on a coast-to-coast ride to Los Angeles. It was said that such a trip would never be accomplished on one horse, and he was going to attempt it. They had to cross the Allegheny Mountains in temperatures down to 18 degrees below zero. On January 13th, they arrived in St. Louis, Missouri. Leinhardt said he was out to prove that Black Bess was the best mare that ever pranced to a bugle. He had thus far averaged about 40 miles per day, and his six-year-old black mare was on her fifth pair of horseshoes. On March 21st, they arrived in Tucson, Arizona, where the local American Legion took good care of the horse at the university stables, where she was reshod. Leinhardt expressed some worry whether Black Bess would withstand the trip across the hot desert to California. The trip was taking more than a month longer than he planned and the desert was heating up. Five days later, as they approached Phoenix, sadly, Black Bess dropped dead in the Arizona heat. The loss hit Leinhardt very hard. He traveled on to Yuma, where he took a train back to Long Island. On April 23, 1925, a Swiss schoolteacher from Buenos Aires, Argentina, Aime Felix Chifoli, started a multi-year ride from Argentina to Washington, D.C. with two horses named Mancha and Gato. He wanted to prove the staying powers of Argentine horses and have the adventure of his life. By 1926, he reached Ecuador. In 1927, he reached San Salvador in Central America. It was reported that he crossed the desert of Ecuador, rode through alligator-infested rivers, contracted swamp fever, and dodged roving bandits. He crossed the snow-capped Andes three times. On several occasions, his food supply ran out and he was forced to live on monkey meat. In Colombia, he was forced to make a raft for himself and his horse in order to get through the swamplands. His horse, Mancha, was the dominant horse. He said, quote, When going through the dense jungles, where riding was impossible, and where I had to go ahead on foot to cut interfering creepers, twigs, and branches with a bush knife, Gato would always follow Mancha who never allowed him to take first place. He explained that his horses traveled best at a fast walk, but for many miles in the desert country, he traveled at a trot. The most miles he covered in 24 hours was 96 miles. After two and a half years, in February 1928, Chifley entered the United States at Laredo, Texas, and was invited to stay at Fort McIntosh by the post commander. In July, he arrived at Indianapolis and was referred to as the Lindenburg on horseback. He said, quote, I would not take anything in the world for my experiences, 
but I never in the world would make another trip like this. Of the U.S., he said, your country is beautiful, but so crowded. Everywhere there are tourists. I can't seem to get used to so many people. In September 1928, after more than three years and riding an estimated 9,000 miles, Chifley arrived in Washington, D.C. He was able to meet with President Calvin Coolidge and was a key speaker at the National Geographic Society. When he returned to Argentina, he decided to let his horses live out their lives on a vast ranch. He commented, quote, I have visions of many strange places we saw together, joys and sorrows, hardships and pleasures, and then the faces of many people in faraway countries appear before me, friends in all stations of life, friends without other assistance we could never have succeeded. Good luck to them, and good luck to you, old pals, Mancha and Gato. <laughs> what about endurance races? On February 22, 1868, a 38-mile race was conducted between two famous horses, Empire State and Ivanhoe. The course route was from Brighton to Worcester, Massachusetts. Each horse pulled sleighs with 400 pounds two men in each sleigh. The horses pulled the heavy sleds over many sections of bare ground. Empire State won the race in two hours, 33 minutes. The horse was given only a seven minute rest at mile 28. It refused to eat or drink and wanted to continue to run. Well, soon after finishing, Empire State became seriously sick and died at midnight. Reaction was highly critical and even spread across the ocean to England. The outrage was huge in Boston, and that year it sparked the creation of the Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or the MSPCA. In 1892, a brutal 360-mile race was held between Berlin, Germany, and Vienna, Austria. German and Austrian officers competed, each group leaving their capital cities toward each other and passing by. A prize of 20,000 marks was promised to the winner and the event involved heavy wagering. About 250 horses started the race. Only 145 riders and horses finished. About 25 to 50 horses died as a result from the race. Many more became lame and one horse fell off a bridge. Morphine was used to keep horses going. The winner was an Austrian who arrived in Berlin in 71 and a half hours and only spent 11 hours resting. His horse died a few hours later. A London newspaper reported, quote, All the animals which have survived this race have severely suffered. An Australian newspaper later commented, quote, It is only just to say that everyone who took part in the competition seems to be sorry and ashamed, not only for the cruelty inflicted, but also the disgrace incurred. Buffalo Bill Cody was unimpressed by the 1892 Berlin-Vienna race, believing that the Western cowpony was far superior for endurance rides than the European horses. In 1893, he was involved in promoting a 1,000-mile race that went from Chaldron, Nebraska to Chicago's World's Fair. Nine riders and horses started. The race became known as the Great 1,000-Mile Cowboy Race. 
The rules stated that saddle and rider could not weigh less than 150 pounds and that only two western cow ponies could be used for each rider. The riders had to find their own livery stables, feed, and hotel rooms along the way. The race was covered nationwide in newspapers. Riders included famous, colorful cowboys. John Barry, a railroad surveyor, won the race that ended at the entrance of Buffalo Bill's Wild West Show with a tremendous crowd of about 5,000 people in front. Barry's eyes were swollen from lack of sleep. A reporter wrote, quote, Barry half tumbled from the saddle in front of Colonel Cody's tent, so weak and tired he was unable to rise to his feet or grab the hand of Colonel Cody. When able to speak, he asked Cody to please take care of his horses. Barry was asked if he was sore. Sore? Well, I should say I was. I don't feel much like sitting down, but I'm so sleepy that I can't talk. I've had no sleep for 10 days to amount to anything. Some of the riders say I rode in a wagon, but they are liars. He explained that he had started slow and was in last place because he walked his horse half the time for the first two days. I did not catch the leaders until I reached Iowa Falls. From there, we kept pretty close together. He went into the lead as they entered Illinois and kept the lead to the finish. Barry's time was 13 days and 16 hours. Buffalo Bill yelled, Western range horses are the hardiest and best horses for the cavalry use on the face of the earth. Other riders also finished that day. In 1913, the endurance sport would truly begin in Vermont. First, in 1910, an endurance test between a Vermont Morgan horse and a horse from the U.S. Army was proposed. The Morgan Horse Club made the challenge to the local army. General Leonard Wood declined the challenge, stating that a test should involve multiple horses. Wood, who was a horseman from New Hampshire, countered with an idea to hold an endurance ride in 1911 with several horses. The competition would consist of 30 to 40 miles per day and would be conducted for several days ending at the Vermont State Fairgrounds at White River Junction. The event didn't take place in 1911, but Wood's cavalry competition idea gave birth to the American endurance riding sport. It was Captain Frank Tompkins of the U.S. 10th Cavalry who took the idea further and implemented it. In 1913, he was the superintendent of military instruction at Norwich University in Vermont. He originated and planned a two-day, 154-mile endurance ride to be associated with the Vermont State Fair. When the event was initially discussed at a committee meeting of the Morgan Horse Club, there was some opposition, fearing that a race component to it could cause cruelty to the horses. Such concerns would be a constant factor in all endurance rides for more than a century. That is why such events were purposely called a ride instead of a race, even though most had a race component to it. As the ride was designed, features were considered to make sure concerns about cruelty were addressed. The course was laid out including stops for rest and feeding with volunteers to care for horses at each point. The format designed for this ride laid the foundation for endurance rides in the future, including the Western States Endurance Ride, which would be established more than 40 years later. 
Before the 1913 event, Captain Tompkins was transferred, but Lieutenant Ralph Parker of the 11th Cavalry took over. He was enthusiastic about the planned ride which he would participate in. There were upper and lower time limits for finishing on the next day. The total time could not average more than 6 miles per hour or less than 4 miles per hour. Horses had to carry at least 160 pounds. Points would be awarded on the condition of the horses. The ride began on September 14, 1913. There were seven riders on small horses, Arabians or Morgans. An automobile drove ahead for the entire course to mark detours, placed lanterns at night where the road was torn up, and gave other assistance. The eventual winning horse lost a shoe during the night at 2 a.m. The driver of the automobile went ahead to a town and woke up a blacksmith, who he brought back to shod the mare by the light of the car. The rider had lost 55 minutes, but eventually caught up to the others. They all finished together in less than 31 hours and covered the last 17 miles in 3 hours. The winning horse was judged to be a 7-year-old Arabian chestnut mare who scored 93.3 points out of a possible 100. In 1919, annual 300-mile rides began in Vermont, which would attract many of the most prominent horsemen in the country. It became referred to as the Army Endurance Ride for the U.S. Mounted Service Cup. Each rider and horse had to cover 60 miles per day for five consecutive days and carry a minimum of 225 pounds. The rider never could lead his horse on foot and had to care for the horse himself without the help of any handlers. The cutoff time for riding time was 55 hours to cover the 300 miles. Each day, they had to cover the 60 miles in no more than 11 hours. For the health of the horses, the minimum time for each day was 9 hours. The Morgan Horse Club entered a little Morgan horse named Castor. He finished last, hours behind the winner. It was reported, quote, When he crossed the finish line, he was so tired that his little sturdy legs were spread apart like the legs of a sawhorse. That was the only way he could stand on his feet at all. Men and women who saw the plucky little devil finish felt a lump rise in their throats and some of the ladies wept over him. But he finished because he had the strength and courage. Castor again was entered in 1920 and 1921. He was much stronger and faster on a more difficult course and in 1921 finished in the money in fourth place. It was said, quote, when he crossed the finish line, the gritty little rascal was given a regular ovation. The 1922 race included 21 horses from across the country. It was hailed as the greatest endurance ride in the United States. Awards were huge, with $600 going to the winner. Ten of the horses finished. In 1923, the endurance ride was held in Avon, New York, and in 1924 was hosted in Warrenton, Virginia. Another 300-mile ride started to be held in Colorado Springs. The Eastern Ride returned to Vermont in 1925, where it stayed for a few more years. 300-milers spread to California, South Dakota, and other places. The country's fascination for endurance rides soon turned to bicycles and motorcycles. But in 1936, endurance rides returned to Vermont and would continue to the present day. At Woodstock, Vermont, the Green Mountain Horse Association 100-mile ride was established as a three-day grueling test. 
For the first year, 18 of the 20 riders and horses finished. The goal of this competition was to finish as close to 17 hours without going under. <laughs> On the first two days, riders needed to cover 40 mile loops between 7 and 8 hours. On the third day, they were to ride a 20 mile loop that needed to be completed in no faster than 3 hours. As with the other endurance rides, they didn't want to call this a race, but rather explain it as a test of the horse's condition and stamina. At Woodstock, Vermont, in the early years, the horses were put up in stalls at the Woodstock Inn Stables, one of the largest in the East. When full, it was, quote, a sight seldom seen in this horseless carriage day. It was a big event for the town in the 1930s and 1940s. The course that year consisted of two different marked 40-mile loops and a 20-mile loop on old wagon trails around Woodstock that cut across hills and mountains where the oxen used to travel and were still better for the ox than the automobile. During the ride, judges were whisked about in jeeps to appear in surprise locations to judge the condition of the horses. After the third day, all the horses were stabled and then closely examined by the judges and veterinarians. There were other very early 100-mile rides. A 100-mile annual ride was started in 1939 near Des Moines, Iowa with the same three-day pattern as the Vermont ride. Another ride was held in Oklahoma named the Hoss Ride. Great Falls, Montana got in the game in 1941 with its three-day Montana 100-mile ride. In 1946, the first 100-mile three-day ride was held in California. In 1950, the Florida 100 was established in Umatilla, patterned after the Vermont trail ride. In 1952, a three-day junior horseman 100-mile ride was established in Nevada and California for junior riders guided by adults. It was held in the Sierra Nevada above Reno, Nevada, and went over mountain passes and into Wendell Roby's neck of the woods. It is very likely that he knew about this ride. The stage was set for the birth of the Western States Trail Ride. Stay tuned for part two for the story of the Western States, Old Dominion, and Vermont 100. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors. And most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. Mm-hmm.